beginning a number of months ago, how many recognize I've really taught one for four or five months? Yeah. I did it under the guise of three series. We, we did the, the first one was, who's driving your car? Who's driving your car? And then we kind of switched to spirit-centered life. And I don't know if you noticed, because I didn't announce it, but then we went to spirit-gifted. What we've been talking about, we've been talking about a person of the Trinity that is often left out, and when he's brought in, he's misunderstood and used by the adversary as a You'll notice that I wait till today to introduce the topic and to address the topic that most of the controversy about the language of heaven. It's very interesting, the passage that, that Chris read, and we're going to have to get him a larger phone or a longer arm here pretty soon to read that. I thought it was kind of cute. Uh, that's why I go to the iPad version. I used to teach off my phone. Uh, when, when we talk about this, the, the birth of the church, the birth of the church, the first gift that God gave the early church was the language of heaven. The first gift was the language of heaven. And it was so amazing that 18 different language groups in that city their voice, their language, their tongue. What amazed them wasn't that they heard their language. What amazed them is that they heard their language from someone who was unlearned, from someone who didn't live in their region, from someone who didn't come from their town. That's what amazed them. It wasn't amazing that they heard people praising God. What was amazing is that they heard people praising God that were fourth grade educated. I'm going to switch. Thanks. Now I'll be... All right. So, that's what happened. At the birth of the church, it was the first gift. And isn't it interesting that the first gift is the one that has been the most controversial, the most divisive, the one that has caused people to, to separate, and yet it was something that God gave. Are, are you with me? Amen. It was something that he gave. In Matthew chapter 3, in your notes there, it says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater than I'm not worthy even to be slave and carry his sandals. He'll baptize you, what? With the Holy Spirit and with fire. Who said that? John the Baptist. Okay, who was he talking about? Who was the one that was coming? Jesus. And in Mark 16, Jesus says, These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, another controversy in the church, and they will speak in new languages. The two things that Jesus mentions are the things the adversary has used to divide. Now, 
If I were to choose in the past season to speak of politics, I would have divided our church. If I had chosen to speak about vaccines, I would have divided our church. I chose not to do that, and, and as a deference to people, I wore a mask in, until today. I'll put one on after the service because I don't want to offend. I don't want to be divisive over something that doesn't matter for eternity. Right? Isn't it interesting that the two things that Jesus mentions, the adversary has taken and used to be divisive in the body of Christ? To the point that one side won't talk to the other. Just go look this up. Do you know there's websites that claim to be so profound and they said that the 10 greatest false prophets, and they name pretty much everybody I listen to. Why? Because they don't like the fact that they believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the ability to speak in a heavenly language, the language of heaven. So, are you ready? We're going to do a quick rundown and then we'll get to it because I have 30 minutes. The initial questions. What were the first questions? The first question was, what must I do to be saved? Remember, we talked about that. Um, who was that? That was the jailer. And you remember Paul and Silas were singing in, in prison and all of that after they'd been beaten, and they were down there, and they were having a worship session, and, and, and they were going like crazy, and suddenly, what happened? An earthquake. And when the earthquake, all the gates fell open, and the jailer thought, okay, when, an, when a prisoner escaped, you paid with your life if you're the jailer. So he's getting ready to kill himself, and Paul's saying, hey, we're all here. We stuck around. Worship was so good, we decided to stay. Amen. Hopefully that's how you feel after I'm done speaking today. So the jailer, in verse 28, called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do to be saved? They replied, here's what you have to do to be saved. What's the question? What do I have to do to be saved? Not what's the whole complete package, just what do I have to do to be saved? And it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, and along with everyone in your house. So what are the steps to salvation? That's what they were asking. What are the steps to salvation? And here's they are. They were repent and believe. Repent and believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Repent and believe. What was the question? Well, how do I get saved? What, what do I have to do? You'll notice it say, didn't say join the church. It didn't say fill out a card. It didn't say come stand in the front. It didn't say go into a side room where counselors will be there. Or in some churches, you sign a pledge that you'll give 10% of your income. Not that that's wrong or right. It's just that becomes a sign. It, but they didn't say that. Repent, believe. What is the promise then? There's a promise to all who repent and believe. Mark 16 says it this way. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. If you do this, repent and believe. What's the promise? You'll be saved. So here's the question. Can I know that I'm saved? How will I know I'm saved? If I know I've repented 
and I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died for me and he rose again, and because he lives, I shall live also. Repent and believe. Repentance to change my thinking. I repent. Who knows if I've done that? I do. So can I know I'm saved? Absolutely. You don't have to go through life wondering, have I been saved? I wonder, we'll find out when we get there. I'd be like going to the airport and not knowing what ticket you had. It's like our son-in-law. He thought he was catching a flight to Oakland, and it was Auckland. <laughs> this flight will be 12 hours. Let's see, L.A. to Oakland, 12 hours? What are we doing, going over the North Pole? No, we're going over the South. <laughs> Now, later on, in, in the passage that Chris read to you, where the thousands of people are now gathering outside this room, where the fourth graders are all speaking 18 different languages, and it's going like crazy, uh, they wonder what's going on. They said, maybe you're drunk, and, and Peter gets up and says, we're not drunk, and he talks about, here, here's the thing, he traces all the way through to where we are, and here's their response in verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, what shall we do? In other words, what's the package deal? What's the whole plan? It's not what must I do to be saved. What should we do? In light of what you just said, that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, that we crucified him, that God raised him up, and he promised when he left that he was going to gift us the Holy Spirit. In light of everything you just told us, Peter, what should we do? And he says, I'm glad you ask." Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Okay, repent and believe, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Guess what happens next? Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, here's the question. What is our response to the gospel message? Because that's what he had just preached. What's the response to the message? Three things you have to do. Repent, be water baptized, which we'll talk about that in a few months, but we'll announce something next week about that. Save your bathing suit and your sunscreen. Repent, be water baptized. What's the last thing? Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that was promised by the Father and delivered by Jesus. Oh, that's what we're supposed to do. So let's talk then about the initial experiences of the Holy Spirit. We read this morning about the day of Pentecost. Remember, we're not to be afraid of Pentecost. It means 50. 50 days after Passover is Pentecost, Pente, 50. Remember, we're not afraid of the day. Oh, I'm a Pentecostal. Oh, you're a 50. You can laugh now, please. It's 50 days. And we read that particular passage in Acts chapter 2. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, the believers were gathered in the upper room. Peter and John were in, in jail. It's something they tended to do early and often in the early church. And, it, of course, they show up because they're released miraculously from prison. They come to the front door. After his prayer meeting, um, the place shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the word of God with boldness. Now, let's look at those two events so far. Pentecost, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. In this one, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word with boldness. How about Samaria? What do we know about the Samaritans? 
Sheriff sang about him. Wait for it. Wait for it. Cher sang about him. Half breeds. <laughs> way back. Yes. Just like I go way back. Yes. I remember getting off the ark. Um, <laughs> it says in Acts chapter 8, listen to this, verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. Think about what you know about Samaria. Think about what you know about how they were treated by the Jews. Think about how people used to travel in that day. If you were at Galilee and you wanted to go to Jerusalem, you didn't take the straight route. You went all the way around. You went down the Jordan River, which means you got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet below sea level. And then you climbed out of the Dead Sea area, Jericho, to Jerusalem, about 1,700 feet above sea level. It's about a 3,000-foot climb. Why do you think they're called the Psalms of Ascent? You're climbing up. You need some encouragement. <laughs> This is what you'd sing. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Why are you singing that? Because you're climbing up. Did Jesus shock everybody? He did. What did he do? He went through Samaria. Who did he meet there? He met a woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. We sang about it this morning. What well are we talking about? She was coming out to draw water, not when everyone else came because she was scorned and shamed. So she came later in the day. It was hot. And there's Jesus sitting there, and he, what's he say? You want some water? You know, you wouldn't be coming here if you knew about the well that never runs dry. And she says, sir, I want to know about that because all she's thinking is, I won't have to come out here and face the crowd anymore. I think it's easier to face the crowd sometimes than to face Jesus. Because he said, let's talk about your husband. I don't have one. You're right. You've, you've burnt through five. And the guy you're living with now. And she diverts and she diverts. But anyway, that's the story. So here we are. We're in Acts 8. Now they're getting saved the people that, that aren't good enough to enjoy and experience the law with us are now getting saved. We better send our big two up there to find out and squelch this heresy. But look what happened. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for the new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Why? What's the whole package? Repent, be water baptized, receive the gift of the Spirit. That's what we just read. So they got there. Wow, they really are saved. They really have repented. They have changed their mind. We better pray for them. What should we pray for? Membership of the church. They prayed the new believers receive the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit had not come on any of them, for they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They'd done two things. They'd repented. They'd been water baptized. You forgot the sermon. You didn't get the CD, the tape. You weren't listening to the podcast. If you'd listened to the Pentecost podcast, there was clearly three things that were going to happen. Repent, be water baptized, receive the Spirit. You got two out of three. Not bad. Well, rather than being judgmental, look what they did. They prayed for him. They prayed for him. The Holy Spirit did not come on any of them. They prayed for him. And then what did they do? They laid their hands on the believers. And guess what happened? They received the Holy Spirit. In fact, it was such an amazing thing and so demonstrative that Simon, who was a sorcerer, saw the Spirit was given when the apostles laid hand on people. He offered them money to buy the power. Whatever happened was so significant that other people saw it and wanted to buy it. There are some that say, well, there was nothing. How would you know anything? Well, there was something that was different enough that sent to everybody in the group, wow, something happened to them. And it was godly. It's just like in Acts 2, something happened to them, and it was a God gift. In Acts 2, what were they doing? They were speaking in languages they didn't know. What do you think might have been happening here? Why did Simon want it? He said, let me have this power too, so that when I lay my hands on people, they'll receive the Holy Spirit. Let's fast forward by going backwards. You remember Saul? You know him as Paul. You know, he started off his life, we see him as he's a very religious man. You realize that he, he memorized the, the Pentateuch. That was part of what he would have done. So you think he knew the law? Absolutely. And here comes these heretics. These Pentecostals, these Bapticostals, these Charismatics that are going around proclaiming they know a little bit more. What's he set out to do? To kill them. He sets out to kill them. But what happens to him on the road to Damascus? Everybody, I'm, I'm doing a lot of teaching in short snippets here. I'm trusting that you've read this story. He's on the road to Damascus. What happens? The light from heaven knocks him off his donkey. You might say he got knocked off his donkey and onto his donkey. Anyway, that was funny right there. And now he's in a house and he's waiting. And Ananias is praying. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, says to him, I need you to go over here and pray for a guy named Saul. And Ananias forgets that Jesus knows all of this. And says, do you know who you're asking me to go pray for? Isn't he the guy that's trying to kill us all? Ah, I forgot that. <laughs> Whatever happened in that debate, Ananias decided to go. And look at verse 17. So Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight. Sweet. Oh, and by the way, you might be filled with the Spirit. There's going to be a great vision day for you today. 
first you're going to have your physical sight restored. And then you're going to have spiritual insight you've never had before. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Since he regained his sight, do you think maybe the Holy Spirit arrived then too? Then he got up and went and be, was water baptized. Why? Because the package deal is repent, be water baptized. What's the third thing? Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you might ask, well, I did that out of order. So did I. It's not A, then B, then C. It's A, then B or C, or C or B. Look at Acts chapter 10. This is a great story. It's 48 verses. I'm going to sit here and read all of them. We'll be here till tomorrow. But let me summarize. In Caesarea, there was a Roman uh, officer named Cornelius. And he was a devout, God-fearing man. And everyone in his household was. He gave generously to the poor and prayed to God. One afternoon at 3 o'clock, he saw a vision with an angel of God coming in saying, Cornelius, what is it, sir? Cornelius responded in terror. He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some into Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon a tanner who lives near the seaside. Okay, so on one side of the deal, you have the Holy Spirit giving a vision to this guy. Call for him. He needs to come. So he sends messengers. They go look for him. Now let's look on the other side of the thing. Here's Peter in that house. And Peter is waiting for lunch. Or perhaps it was brunch. The Bible says it's about noon. He went up on the roof to pray. But while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was set down by four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then the voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. <laughs> no, Lord, I have not eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice said, don't call something unclean if God has made it clean. Oh, and then there's a knock at the door. Who's Peter? He's Jewish. Christianity at that point is considered a sect of Judaism. Who shows up at the door? An unclean person saying, our boss wants you to come. Now, you know there's some in the room saying, you can't go there. Huh? You say, oh, but, they, but they're spirit-filled. Oh, yeah, that changed all their beliefs. You can't go there. What do you mean I can't go? You shouldn't go there. I had a vision. And the Lord said, if he calls it clean, I need to go. So in verse 44, it says, Peter gets there and he says, as he was telling them the story, the Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter to check up on him. How do I know that was happening? Because look at the next sentence. We're amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles too. 
was right. That vision, he said, it wasn't just he was short on lunch. It was God. How did they know the Holy Spirit had been poured out on them? Look what it says. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Now, I included this next story because some of you came from this same church. <laughs> Acts chapter 19. When Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the uh, interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. And he asked them this simple question. Did you get the package deal? Or did you just get saved? Did you repent and believe? Or did you repent, water baptized, receive the Holy Spirit? Which sermon, which tape made it here that led you to believe, be believers? And so he asked a simple question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He said, no, they replied. We haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. How many came from that church? Anybody? Yeah, we didn't know there was one. No, they replied, we haven't heard there's the Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He said, and they replied, the baptism of John. They were way back. They hadn't even got the new CDs. <laughs> they had the cassettes. John the Baptist Revival. At the Jordan River, a three-part series. <laughs> Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they heard this, look what happened. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What's that referring to? They were water baptized. And remember when we talked about three baptism, when it says baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus, that's a short version of saying baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've, we've covered all that. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Okay, so it's not one story in the Bible. Right? So let me differentiate between what I'm going to call the gift of tongues, you can call it the grace of tongues, the prayer language of the Spirit, the language of heaven, take your pick, all of those can be the same. The gift of tongues is a gift. It's a message from God to others in a language unknown to the person through whom the message comes. When we talked about that functioning in the church, what did we say? Wherever there's a gift of tongues, there needs to also be a gift of interpretation. Why? Because people will think you're out of your mind nuts. You say, well, who interpreted in Acts 2? They did. If Chris was from one of those big words that he read, and I'm from one of those other big words that he read, and we knew each other and our common language was Koine Greek, and we'd be elbowing each other. Can you believe it? I hear him speaking the dialect from my region. He's going, you think you hear that? This is the guy, he's saying this about God in my dialect. The gift of tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit given to people to deliver a message 
And for it to make sense, it needs to be interpreted. That's why it said if you function the gift of tongues, you need to pray that there's interpretation. Remember, it's not translation. Because we've all heard a gift of tongues that was like 42 milliseconds. And then the interpretation was kind of like this sermon. The second thing is there's this, what I'll call the prayer language of the Spirit. And this is where our spirit communicates to God the depths of our heart, saying what we're unable to express with natural language alone. It's a way for me to communicate with God. So let's talk about the prayer language of the Spirit. Let's go ahead and get in there. The prayer language of the Spirit. First of all, praying in tongues, praying in a prayer language is biblical. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, pray in the Spirit at all times and on all occasions. How many know that your pastor does this? Perhaps you've heard me when we're having a prayer time. You wonder what's he shifting to? I'm shifting to a language that God has given me. Now hear what it does. I pray with my understanding till I run out of things that I understand. But sometimes you have this sense inside that I'm, it's not all out. Well, what do you do? What's putting that, there's something in my spirit that's saying, I, I, I don't know the English for this. Or sometimes, I don't know what this is. But there is a this that needs to be expressed to God. Because if I believe that God moves in response to believing prayer, and someone asks me to pray, and I say, what do you want to pray about? I can't tell you. Well, somebody needs to get it on target. Well, the Holy Spirit knows, and he can use me to pray right on target for a situation that I, in my mind, know nothing about. Praying in tongues is biblical. Praying in the Spirit at all times and all occasions. Paul said, the guy that said, you know, be careful and be in order, you think, he's on my side, he's, you know, he's anti-charismatic. Look what he said. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Now, let me give an example very quickly. Years and years and years ago, I was uh, a Methodist pastor. I know it's hard to believe. That's why I'm so reserved. And uh, we had taken our kids to camp. And it was the last day of camp, and I was driving home from the camp with the bus and had all the kids that had gone to camp. They were high schoolers. And we're in the bus, and we're going home. And a friend of mine from college in Tulsa was coming down to see me, and I lived, let's just say, near Lubbock, Texas. He was coming. And as we're driving along, and the kids are doing what kids do in the bus, some of them singing camp songs, some of them doing whatever, some hanging their head out the window, which is what you always want to do in West Texas since there's sand everywhere. And I have this sense, and now this is, the, I'm going to tell you, the person's name was Mark, but it wasn't me, okay? I have this sense, 
you need to pray for Mark now. For whatever reason, I actually glanced at my watch and saw what time it was. I don't, I don't normally write those things down. I don't journal, pull the bus over, journal. At 3.22, told to pray for Mark. I'm driving a bus. I got 40 kids. So I didn't shut my eyes. I didn't take my hands off the wheel. I kept driving. And I prayed a nice generic prayer. You know what those are? Lord, bless him, watch over him, give him a safe trip. You ever prayed that? There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not specific. And suddenly I have this sense, you need to pray, and you need to pray now. All right, God, I don't know what to pray. My mind is unfruitful. I'm going to let my spirit pray. And notice what I said, in control, I begin to speak in the language that God had given me between the piano and the wall at Old Oak Ranch when I was 14 years old. And I began to speak in a, a prayer language of the Spirit. I believe that I was praying right on target, if you will, for whatever the situation was. After about three minutes, the heaviness lifted, and I joined in the singing of the thing, and we drove on the rest of the way home. When we got to the church, I opened the bus. There was my friend sitting there. We got out, and I looked at the side of his car, and I said, what happened? He said, well, there's quite a story. He was missing a hubcap, and all the chrome that was on the side of the car was gone, but not a scratch on the car, just the little chrome, the door dent piece that runs all the way down was missing. Like someone had peeled it off. And he said, here, here's your cookies. Sorry, some of them got wet. What are you talking about? He said, well, we were driving. We were on this freeway. We were coming down here. I reached in the back. These cookies are from not my wife. It was a girlfriend. Yes, I had another girlfriend before Jill. And she'd sent cookies. And my water or something had spilled and I turned around to pick it up and my brother turned around and so now both of them are driving down the road about 70 miles an hour in the interstate. Both of them looking back here and the next thing he knows is he's moved over to the edge of the freeway and what's coming up is one of those little reflector things. Now they're all bendy. They weren't bendy back then. And he's, whoa, and he jerks away and it goes right down the side of his car, peeling off the chrome. I said, wow. He said, but it's not over. He said, then I lost control, and we spun out, and the next thing I know, we were going 70 miles on down the freeway this way. And I was driving like this, trying to slow the car, and, and we... We went into the center median. Now, you have to understand, in Texas, you could grow crops in the center median. In fact, some places they do. And he went into a tall grass that he could see nothing. They spun around. When they finally stopped, he and his brother were shaken. They got out. They walked to the front of the car, and there was a very large, about five- or six-foot boulder that they stopped without touching. All of this happened by chance. Once they stopped shaking, they got back in the car, backed out, got on the freeway, and he said, and about two miles later, the hubcap blew off. 
when they'd gone into that grass, it had cut the grass and filled up <laughs> in the hubcap and created pressure and shot the thing off. He said, I said, you wouldn't by chance. Oh, he said, yeah, it was 334. I'm driving the bus. It's 3.32. Pray for Mark. I prayed the generic prayer. Then I didn't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit prompted me to pray. It's 3.34. You'll say, that's chance. Well, here's what I want you to understand about intercession by the Spirit. For us, it appears to be chance, and I actually can do a whole teaching on this. Intercession means to happen or light upon by chance. So from our perspective, it seemed like chance. For me praying, it seemed like chance. But from God's perspective, it was right on target. Why do you want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit with the ability to speak in a heavenly language that he gives you and teaches you so that you too can pray right on target? When something's coming against your family, when something's coming against your business, when something's coming against your children, when, when, when harm is coming against you or someone that you know and you don't know how to pray, wouldn't it be wonderful to have the Holy Spirit who's in you, who knows all, who says, I'm glad you called on me. I can hit that right on target. It won't be a generic prayer. I'll go right to the bullseye. Wouldn't you want that? And then when that happens and you've expressed praise to the Lord and you've expressed it all that you can express and you've run out of words, wouldn't it be great to have the Holy Spirit say, I got a few more words that will give honor and glory to God. Wouldn't it be wonderful to let him let those go through you and let your spirit exalt and praise the name of the Lord? Wouldn't that be wonderful to do? Praying in tongues is biblical. Praying in tongues is spiritual. Praying in tongues is beneficial. Let me read this. Romans 8. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And listen to this, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. Wouldn't you want to pray God's perfect will? First Corinthians, Paul wrote, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Now, for those of you that like a little older version because you don't like strength and personally, it says, he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Now, some of you will say, yeah, but the next part is, but he that speaks in a tongue or, you know, in his language edifies the church. Yes, I understand that. Is there anything wrong with you being edified? The word edify, think what it means. Edifice means to build up. So when I pray in the Spirit, who's getting built up? Me. When I pray in English, what gets built up? The church. Jude. There's only one chapter, so verse 20. Dear friends, 
build each other up in your most holy faith. Oh, by the way, pray in the power of the Spirit. How do you build somebody up? Pray in the Spirit. Last, praying in tongues is a choice. Paul says it, what then, what shall I do? I pray in the Spirit, I'll pray in words that I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, I will sing in words I understand. In other words, I choose. Now, what are some conclusions? Number one, in most cases, people filled with the Spirit spoke in tongues almost immediately. In most cases. I grew up in an era where we talked about the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't like that. Because an evidence implies that I am a judge or a court and that I can determine if what they did is legitimate or not. So I want to call it the initial experiences. Most people's initial experience of the baptism of the Spirit is a prayer language. Now you'll say, well, I asked to receive the Holy Spirit 10 years ago, and I'm convinced I did. You probably did. And sometimes you don't know to ask, Lord, is there a language that you would like me to have to help me pray right on target to express your will and your purpose and your way? Or maybe you grew up in an environment like I did. This is my last story. Where people would come up and they would tarry. Tarry's a big word for wait. Why did we do it? Because Jesus, before he left the earth, said, go and tarry, old, old version, go and wait till the Holy Spirit's given. Well, when was the Holy Spirit given? At Pentecost. Why are we still waiting? Well, because it was there, they waited. And I, bless my best friend's heart, Ron Ratliff, Every Sunday night, yes, we had church on Sunday night, he'd come down to the kneeling benches. Some of you call them altars. I believe the altar's in our heart. So he came down to the kneeling bench. He'd kneel down. And he would cry. And he said, Lord, I want to be baptized in your spirit. Well, guess what? I believe the Lord heard him the first time he prayed it. But he did not have a chance. You know why he didn't have a chance? Because I know the two people in our church that wouldn't let you go if you said you wanted to be baptized in the spirit. One would be in front of you, just let it go, brother, let it go, let it go. And I want to say, would you let it go and take a mint? <laughs> and behind him, a dear sister, these are real people, I could name them, Jill could name them, would be pounding him on the back. Hang on, brother, hang on. The poor kid didn't know what to do. One said, let go, just let, and, and he thought, here's what he thought. He thought that the Holy Spirit was going to show up, knock him out with a spiritual sledgehammer. He'd be laying on the floor, and while he was laying there, a hand from heaven would come in and take his tongue and wiggle it, and he would wake up and we'd say, guess what happened? You used a prayer language. That's what he was waiting for. Now, I will tell you, the lady that pounded you on the back, it felt like a spiritual sledgehammer. 
He didn't understand the simple truth. I'm speaking to you today. Here's how it works. Watch. I have a thought. I think of the words. I articulate the words through my tongue. That's how I speak. How do I pray in the spirit? I have a thought. I ask God, tell me what to pray. He gives me a word. In this case, he gives me a language. What do I do? I have to choose to speak. Well, I don't know exactly what I'm saying. That's where the faith part comes in. You'll say, well, what if I'm getting a counterfeit? What if Lucifer's giving me one? Don't you remember what the Bible says? Don't you know about your heavenly father? He only gives good gifts to his children. If you ask for a fish, would he give you a scorpion? If you ask the Holy Spirit, be my teacher, be my guide, give me a language that I can pray right on target and I can praise you, do you think that he's going to give you a fake one? So if sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Isaiah said, God will speak to his people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. You may have been around a long time. You may have been around people that, that pray in a prayer language of the Spirit, and you hear, man, it sounds like they got the full language. Well, they've been speaking it for 40 years. Our little Dax that this church has prayed for and we've had a miraculous thing in his life, but, but he's been slow to speak. So Joe and I have been praying that God would release him. And we watch him every time we see him learning to speak. Now, I would love to think that after we prayed for him, he'd walk up and say, Hi, Poppy, I appreciate the prayers, and now I'm a full man, and I've got all this language. No, he's two. He's got some words down really well. Dax, can I have a hug? No. How about a high five? No. How about a squeeze? No. This was yesterday. Nux. And then you can be walking away and he'll just shout, Poppy! And you where did that come from? Why? He's learning his language. A little late, but he's learning his language. So I've asked the team to, to talk about or to, to just give us an opportunity to worship. And if you've never asked Jesus to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, I want you to do that. There's no prayer. It's not like you've got to say five things and do whatever. You just say, Jesus, when you left, you said you'd give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Give me your gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice I didn't say give me the gift of tongues or give me a prayer language. I'm saying baptize me what? Not in tongues. Baptize me in the Spirit. And then let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. If you find that the word or a phrase or a sentence comes to mind, you don't quite understand it, in faith, speak it out. Now, don't come running up and get the mic and get on the camera. Because you're speaking to God. Pastor Robert Morris tells the story. He, he had such intellectual roadblocks to this. that He woke up one morning and Debbie kept grinning. That's his wife. Debbie kept grinning at him and... What's the matter? She goes, well, you finally did it. 
while he was asleep, he began to pray in the spirit. Why? Because he couldn't get his mind out of the way, so God had to do that for him when he was asleep so his mind wouldn't get in the way. Some of you, that might be your experience. You'll go home tonight, you'll wake up and say, man, what was that? Why is my mouth so dry? Is this okay? I've preached for five months to preach today. The Holy Spirit's your friend. He's not someone to be afraid of. He's normal. He's not weird. He was sent by Jesus himself to dwell in us and to be with us. And now he gives us the gift of being able to pray and to praise. Okay? I'm done. So, Father, and I'd like just just join me here or at home you can join me. Father, here we are. We ask that you give us the gift of your spirit. And by faith, we receive and we believe in Jesus' name. Now let's just worship, just worship. And you might find while we're singing a song or while you're saying words of praise, you might find this, uh, there's another language there, just, just speak it out softly.